what's going on? Hey, my name is Remy Alau. I'll be your host today. You might know me as Remy. You might know me as Dami. You might know me as Chaco Thunder 28. But regardless of what you know me as, I am very glad you're here. I am blessed. Blessed to have listeners like you guys. Blessed to have the support behind this podcast, I know it's unconventional, but I'm thankful for your presence here regardless. But anyway, welcome to the Gospel of Anime. Here at the Gospel of Anime podcast, we use the fiction of anime to highlight the truth of God. And from time to time, we have a couple segments during our time together. Today, unlike the last two weeks, we are indeed having an off-topic segment. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a thick one. It's going to feel like a trip to the hyperbolic time chamber. And I am personally okay with that. I hope you're okay with it too. And then we will also be taking a trip to the hyperbolic time chamber. I truly believe both of these segments, segments are going to bless you. Our off topic segments tend to actually not be that much about anime or about anime at all. And when we go to the hyperbolic time chamber, we get active. So basically, Hyperbolic Time Chamber, it's from Dragon Ball Z. It's a training room that has 10 times the gravity of Earth. It's got wildly fluctuating temperatures. And it is located in a specific room that you can only get access to if you're close to God. So I think that is a very apt description of what we are going to be doing and where we're going to be entering because the purpose of this podcast is not just to demonstrate who God is through the medium of anime, but it is also to get you stronger. When you are in the place like the hyperbolic time chamber, you are often uncomfortable. And although most people don't listen to podcasts to be uncomfortable, I believe that the listeners of this podcast are different and built different. You all are here not just to hear the word of God, but also to be challenged, to take an honest and earnest look at yourself and see how you can take steps in the right direction to get closer to the Most High King, get closer to Jesus. So once again, thank you so much for being here. I believe that God is going to do something great today. So first things first, yeah. Let's slide into this off-topic segment. So, off-topic, I have this friend. Great friend. We've we've been close for about two years at this point. And, uh, actually, we, technically we met two years ago, but we became fast friends. He is a real blessing in my life. And so is his lovely wife. They've grown really close to me and my wife. And... Him among this group of friends are just fantastic. Uh, We get together, we watch anime together, and all I'm saying is friends that watch anime together stay together. So, haha, keep that in mind. Anyway, he not only likes anime, he also likes fantasy. Uh, He specifically uh, mentioned from time to time these two books. One has turned into a TV show. I hear that it's kind of mediocre if you've read the books but that one is called wheeled wheel of time but the one we're going to be talking about today is called the wave kings and it's by brendan brandon sanderson brendan sanderson anyway i've been listening to it 
as an audiobook and I I'm about it. I like I like it so far. I if you might if you know this about me, you might, you might not. I'm really big into world building when it comes to media, especially anime. But all types of media, if you do a good job world building, if you do a good job creating an environment that I could easily perceive, even if I'm not actually watching anything, then I, you, you, you basically got me. You basically got me hooked. So he was like, hey, man, you should really read this book, listen to the audiobook, something, because I think you would really, really like it. And I was like, oh, man. I'm not that big of a fantasy reader. I'm not that big of a fiction reader, actually. Uh, but after a while, he wore me down. Actually, he, he wasn't really pushing that hard, but I I wish I was a reader. So I was like, you know what? Let me give it a try. My wife uh, has Audible, so we'll make it happen. So I started listening to this book, and I was hooked immediately. I was like, oh, no, this world building is great. This jazz is fantastic. I love the way the author says this. I love the way the voice actor says this and his his voices and all that stuff. It was tremendous from, like, the prologue into the first chapter. And I actually want to talk about the first chapter. If you have read The Way of Kings, I want you to do me a favor and pretend that the second chapter isn't a thing. All right? I'm not going to lie. The Holy Spirit gave me the revelation for this before I read the second chapter or <laughs> listened to the second chapter. So just keep that in mind. You know, we're just we're just living in the first chapter. Nothing exists outside of the first chapter right now. Anyway, so during this first chapter, we meet a young man named Sen. Sen is about 15 years old and he's in line standing at the front lines of his very first battle. He is painfully aware of how unprepared he is for this atmosphere or for what he's about to be told to do. And honestly, he's saying to himself, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it out of this. You guys have killed me. I'm going to die. How dare you guys? I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it out of this. I'm going to die. I, this is It's over for me. It's over for me. I'm going to die. He is saying this to himself and out loud over and over and over again. And while this is happening, he is uh, in an environment that's a little bit unfamiliar. At the last second, he was rushed to a different battalion, a different group of warriors that he's unfamiliar with. And while he's standing in this line, dreading what's about to happen, he's positioned next to an older, taller, but also wiser soldier named Dalit. Dalit, uh, has the has the signs of someone who's been through war a little bit and him being older he's much much more calmer about the situation than sen is this soldier dalit he looks over to sen and then starts checking him out coaching him looking out for him preparing him and he tells him he gives him very in, intentional advice he says hey have you uh, urinated yet? Have you uh, relieved yourself? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't have to. They just rushed me over here. And Dalit says, hey, you better do it right now, because if you don't and you're caught off guard during the battle, you might wet yourself and uh, have it drip down your leg. If that happens, that can distract you during the battle and possibly be the reason for your death. 
Sen takes his advice and relieves himself on some rocks nearby. In addition to this advice, though, Dalit pushes back against Sen's word. He says, you are not going to die. You will be taken care of. You are going to be okay. Sen, still frustrated, still confused, he almost pleads with the wiser soldier and asks, but how do you know? How do you know I'm not going to die? And the soldier replies, because we are in Kaladin's storm-blessed squad. The young man, with no context of that meaning who Kaladin is, and or any of that, looks around, and all the soldiers around them just start nodding in agreement. They said, yeah, we're, hey, we're part of this squad. We're not going to die. The other guys, they might not be so lucky, but we, in the president, are in the presence of Kaladin and being led by him, we are sure and we believe firmly that because of this squad and the one we're in, we are not going to die. Time, a little bit of time goes past and Kaladin arrives and all of those around Sen move to attention. Sen is surprised at Kaladin's appearance. He's surprised at how young he looks and no doubt surprised by the amount of respect he commands from Kaladin's peers, or from Sen's peers. Kaladin starts addressing Dalit regarding, you know, business about the battle, other recruits, this, that, and the third. But then he pauses when he notices Sen. Dalit lets his superior know that Sen just made it there a few moments ago and is and Dalit was preparing Sen for what's to come. Kaladin says, hey, good job. That's great. I paid good money for that boy to get away from Gare. Sen, at this point, is forced to wonder, why on earth is anyone paying money for me? Sen knows that he has barely three months of training. He isn't like a light-eyed noble. That's the name of uh, these uh, people that get preferential treatment. This, uh, the, the noble class, they call them the light eyes. He isn't like a light-eyed noble that people just seek to protect. He's just regular old Sen, the terrified teen with no battle experience. Sen, much like us, the circumstances that we find ourselves in can feel far from safe, far from anything that we believe that we could handle. But the good news is we were paid for and given the invitation to join the camp of the one that will never let us be defeated. You might be surprised Often wondering, God, why would you choose me? Why would you use me? Why would you protect me? Especially all that I've done wrong. Especially with how unequipped I am to be a soldier in your army. And the answer really never changes. It is his love. Once the battle begins, everyone tells Sen to run. Like, just sprint. Go go all out. Keep up with the battalion and run as fast as you can. Sen is confused because he knows that his training and his personal logic says to march with the rest of the army. Stay in formation and march with the march in the large numbers that is the rest of the army. But with the guiding hand of his senior, Dalit, he ran. 
noticing everyone in the group left their shield on their back, even though there are arrows incoming. Sen starts to get fidgety. He, once again, is trying to do something that feels counterintuitive, feels against what he has been trained to do in those short three months. Arrows will soon be raining down on him, so he's trying to get that get that shield off his back and prepare to use it, prepare to utilize it and prepare to defend himself. But like I said, he notices that the people that are running with him, the people in his squad, are doing no such thing. As Sen runs uh, through this, what seemed to be a fairly flat field, he stumbles on a protruding rock that he didn't previously see and is real, real close to losing pace, to falling out of the pace that everyone else is walking in, or should I say running in. And lucky him, Dalit is close to him to keep him in line. All Sen knows, and possibly all Dalit knows, is that they need to follow the command of their leader. Soon after he stumbles, arrows come flying in. But Sen sees something interesting. As he's running, the arrows that are flying in keep landing behind him. They keep landing behind his regiment, his battalion. The arrows keep missing him and keep landing behind him, not even touching any part of Kaladin's group. Even through the confusion, Sen is recognizing that there is a method to their madness. The way the leader moves, the way the leader thinks, is higher than the way Sen thinks. Much like how God has thoughts that are higher than our thoughts and ways that are higher than our ways, even though we know that, it takes trust to believe in the instruction of God, our shepherd, our Lord. We want to believe that he will keep us safe and secure in the battle, especially if we don't arrive with the best training for our circumstances. And especially when we don't have the full picture of what's going on around us. It doesn't take much for us to want to resist what might feel like a reckless movement to our untrained eye. But moving confidently in line with God changes the whole situation. Even though you're moving in a strange direction, trusting God ensures that you'll be taken care of. It may not, you know, look the way we want it to look. It may be a challenge unlike anything we faced before. But we need to trust the word of God when it says that all things work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. After strong, decisive, and intelligent decision-making on Kaladin's part, maintaining safety of everyone in his battalion, the group is for forced to change locations. They were on a, a hill where they had the advantage where Kaladin was making... Uh, precise adjustments to the formation of his squad to keep everyone safe and for them to be as effective as possible. But now things changed up. There's a, a shift in the battlefield and now they need to change locations. As they're changing locations, Sen, still anxious, still worried, uh, finds himself 
and the rest of the battalion about to clash or have an unavoidable encounter with another enemy battalion. This happens while they're en route to a new location in the battlefield. Sen, stressed out and as unexperienced as ever, gets himself disoriented during the clash of soldiers and he gets lost in the battlefield. At this point, he is stressing, tripping and running for dear life, hoping to find the squad that he knows he is safe in. And honestly, what I want to know is how did he get so far away that he can't just like, you know, spot these guys. But that's not the point. The point is that even though he got precise instruction from his leader, he still found a way to get lost. As Zen is frantically running and trying to figure out where the rest of Kaladin's squad is, he runs into six enemy soldiers. Here, rather than running, he just does what makes sense to him. He picks up his shield, he picks up his spear, and starts waving his spear in order to appear like a threat. But unfortunately for him, it looks like his enemies might be seasoned enough to be able to call his bluff. One soldier basically just brushes away uh, Sen's spear with his shield and then proceeds to stab Sen in the thigh. Sen right now is overcome with all types of pain and he must feel like he is staring death in the face because basically he is. In mere moments, he's about to lose his life and all the advice, encouragement, assurance that he received turned out to be false. He's going to die just like he said he was, as a 15-year-old kid with no true understanding of the real reason for his death. As Sen is preparing for his death, guess who shows up? Yep, you guessed it, Kaladin shows up. The leader of his squad, the one whose wisdom and plan kept him safe thus far. Sen, in the heat of battle, and in his fear, got himself lost and then in the clutches of the enemy. And as a borderline useless soldier, he got himself injured. And this is because he didn't closely follow the directions of the one leading him. I would be lying if I said that this didn't sound familiar. If, as someone that purposefully enlisted in the Lord's army, I would be lying if I said that this didn't sound familiar. As, you know, someone who purposefully enlisted in the Lord's army, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, from time to time, I didn't doubt his plan and his instructions. I would be lying if I said that even after I had been ensured by God that I would be protected and no harm would come to me, I didn't flinch and reach towards my shield to protect myself, thinking that God's protection wasn't enough. I would also be lying if I said that I'd never stumbled over an obstacle or taken a wrong turn when things got dicey. And truth be told, my foolishness, the foolishness that caused me to stumble, that caused me to get lost, that placed me within the reach of the enemy, is also the foolishness that wounded me, that caused me to bleed, that caused me to need therapy, that caused me to need deliverance, to need healing. But I serve a pursuing God, a great physician that can heal any wound, no matter where I'm at, a good shepherd that will leave 99 sheep to go after the one that's in trouble. And that is what we see here. 
That is what Kaladin Stormblessed does for Sen. Sen, in immense danger, is rescued. Kaladin steps into battle against these six men, even though he's outnumbered. Kaladin doesn't flinch at the danger. He doesn't pause and think about what he's risking to save the boy that he already paid a great sum for. Kaladin steps in and punctures the body of one of the soldiers. Then he dispatches two of them with the knives that were originally sheathed on his spear. And as if to avenge Sen and the wound that he received, he stabs one of them in the thigh. It seems fitting. Uh, Sen being the victim, Kaladin being the one to avenge Sen. Because, as we know, revenge is his. Revenge belongs to the Lord. And I heard someone say it like this. They say, hey, if you get revenge, don't you know that you're stealing from God? After all, revenge is his. That, whew, that checked me heavy. After dispatching these enemy soldiers, Kaladin, as if he was a doctor his entire life, field dresses Sen's wound and brings him to safety. Often, it is our own fault that we find ourselves in trouble. It is usually us sabotaging our progress, ignoring the pace God has set for us, and doing our own thing, just thinking it's right. Then we wonder why God let us get hurt. God, he's a gentleman. He won't force us to go somewhere we don't want to. He won't force us to do something we don't want to. But like everything, there are repercussions with every decision. But even though we don't deserve it, and even though the Heavenly Father gave us safety and we messed it up, he is still prepared to be the paramedic for us when we need it. He is ready to dress our wounds and heal us and give us another chance to follow him. I want to ask you, how good of a job are you doing at following your shepherd, the leader of your battalion, the one who can guide you into the pace of grace? Is sin causing you to stumble? Are you having a hard time following the true leader because of fear? Whether it's because of a memory that happened the last time you tried to step out, or how you heard what happened to that one friend when they thought they heard from God. I want to remind you that God knows where you are, and what you are, and what you're doing. He knows what you're going through. He also knows of the hardships ahead of you. And with that said, this journey won't be an easy one. At the end of the day, it's still war against an enemy that doesn't plan on surrendering. But not only is the one leading you going to keep you protected, but the war itself is already won. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. You will walk through valleys filled with death and evil. God is with you, and he is there to guide you, to keep you safe and secure. And should you stumble, should you find yourself damaged, Jehovah will heal your flesh. The wonderful counselor will heal your mind. 
and the love of Jesus will heal your heart. Right now, you might say, hey, I've heard all this before, and the hurt that I've felt, it's not from man, it's not from the devil, but it's from God. God is the one that hurt me. God's the one that left me. Might I submit to you that the hurt you have, rather than being from God, might be from your expectations of God and from the people that claimed to represent him. The truth is, as long as human beings have free will, they will also have the choice to do harm towards others. And that might sound familiar to you. That might be something that you've experienced. But we have a God that can fix that. But it doesn't have to stop there. And honestly, it shouldn't stop there. I've heard it said like this. All miracles require human participation. The miracle of your healing may come from a step into a counselor's office. But you won't be alone. You'll have the wonderful counselor by your side. Your healing might come from intentionally seeking God's wisdom in his word. Or it might involve you starting with forgiving someone who hurt you. Whatever it may be, I'm believing that God can do and will do what Kaladin did for Sen. Come to your rescue and patch you up so you can keep going. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for that off-topic segment. But it's about that time that we slide through to the hyperbolic time chamber. So, on a lighter note, I don't know about lighter, on a different note, I want to talk about this, a comedy anime today. It's one I like, one that uh, many people in the anime community are familiar with. It's called One Punch Man. It has some hilarious moments. And the premise of it, I think, is pretty funny as well. The whole concept of this show is it follows this gentleman named Saitama. Saitama is kind of or at least he was, kind of a regular guy. He used to have a 9 to 5. He used to just enjoy, you know, deals at the supermarket. All of that business, just going to the grocery store and relishing, finding good deals, all of that. And then, one could say that things changed. I say this because now he's basically one of the strongest beings in the world, if not in the galaxy. As the title of the show suggests, he is a guy who is a hero for fun. And all it takes is one punch for him to beat the most powerful foes. Saitama is so strong that people cannot believe how capable he is. But since getting this strong, he's encountered a bit of a dilemma. And it kind of all started when he was a working class citizen looking for a job and honestly failing at getting a job. Walking through the streets one day, he sees a child about to get harmed by a giant crab monster. After he saves this child from this evil crab monster, he decides to start his journey to be a hero for fun. But now after years of training, and now that he is a hero, and now that he's as strong as he really is, he can no longer really enjoy the thrill of battle. Because all it takes is one punch for him to defeat all of his enemies. The show frequently demonstrates Saitama beating enemy after enemy with a single punch. 
Sometimes the attacks that he throws are actually accidental. But that doesn't change the fact that his enemies nearly always go down from a single blow. Towards the beginning of the show, Saitama finds himself alone in an evacuated city. Uh, This is in, I think, the second episode. And he stumbles upon a giant humanoid mosquito monster that has attacked the city. That's kind of why it's so empty. And while he's there, he stumbles upon a cyborg named Genos. This cyborg is basically beaten half to death. And unfortunately, it was by this mosquito monster. Genos, unfortunately, he is no slouch. It's kind of peculiar that someone as strong as him has gotten beaten like this. But I digress. After Genos fell victim to this mosquito monster, he is... His beating is kind of interrupted by Saitama's arrival, only because Saitama was trying to battle a mosquito opponent of his own, but that mosquito was actually regular sized. But yeah, lucky for him, Saitama slid through, and what ends up happening is despite Genos' hard work at trying to defeat this mosquito monster, Saitama, the one-punch man, shows up and just destroys it with one, I think, slap. I don't think it's even a punch, actually. And Genos, has, in his whole life, has never seen strength like this. Genos became a cyborg and is in a pursuit of strength for one reason. He, in his childhood, uh, lost his home, lost his parents to a cyborg a different cyborg, actually, an evil cyborg. So Genos is on the hunt to find this enemy and get vengeance. So he runs into Saitama and after seeing this crazy power, he does, you know, what seems logical to him at the time and asks Saitama to take him as an apprentice. After being at Saitama's front door and hounding him over and over again to take him as his apprentice, Saitama reluctantly agrees. Genos, to Saitama's dismay, ends up following him around everywhere he goes. And interestingly enough, they're both immensely strong. And as a result, somehow trouble always seems to find them, just way too often. Before long, the two of them end up having dealings with an independent villain group called the House of Evolution. This House of Evolution... Their goal is to step up evolution past what nature can do and create like monsters, chimeras, hybrids with technology that are stronger than anything the world has ever seen. So they kind of run up on Genos, they run up on Saitama, and uh, they kind of pick a fight with them. When Genos and Saitama actually get to the specific house of evolution... They quickly fold everyone and fight their way to the boss. And in moments, the boss releases what he believes to be his greatest creation thus far. This creation is known as Carnage Kabuto. Carnage Kabuto has never, ever been beaten, and honestly can barely be kept under control by his masters. All Carnage Kabuto wants to do, he wants a chance to battle and to kill anything and everything he can. And this was the perfect opportunity. After Genos 
faces uh, Carnage Kabuto, and kinda, you know, doesn't really do that great. Saitama steps in and engages him. This battle lasts longer than Carnage Kabuto assumed that it would. And as a result, Carnage Kabuto has to ask, are you a regular human? And if so, how did you get so strong? You are crazy strong. I mean, compared to me, you're not, but you are crazy strong. Carnage Kabuto really wants to know. And not only him, his master, as well as Geno, Saitama's apprentice, want to know, how did you get this crazy, unbelievable, unparalleled strength? This is impossible for a normal human to have, so how did you do it? Genos is so eager to find out, he really wants to know. And having followed him, he believes that he's entitled to the answer, to the key to his strength. And because they all want to know, Saitama reluctantly tells them, and he says it just like this, he followed an intense training regimen. He says that if you desire to achieve this level of strength, first you need to make sure that you stick to this regimen, this training very, very closely. You need to make sure that no matter how difficult it gets, you keep on going, no matter what, even on days when it's uncomfortable. And on days when you don't feel like it, keep on going, be consistent. He lets them know that it took him a full three years to reach his incredible strength. And then he finally tells them. His training regimen consisted of 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats, and a 10-kilometer run every single day. And then in addition to this crazy training, he made sure to never turn on the AC in the summer, even on the hottest days. After hearing all of this, Gen Genos, Carnage Kabuto, and the leader of the House of Evolution are dumbfounded. They stare in disbelief because they can't fathom why Saitama did something so basic. And that was his response. So they ask again, not believing that this is actually the case. Be honest, what did you actually do? What was your secret? How did you get this awesome strength? And he looks at them and says, Hey, you may not believe it, but that's literally all I did. The scene in the show is honestly pretty funny and has turned to a notable joke in the anime community, but there is, signific there is significance to what he said and how he said it. And by the way, as a physical therapist, I'm obliged to tell you that do not work out like that. Doing work in the same area every single day is not advisable. Your, your muscles need rest. But anyway, back to the point. Saitama stated what he did to become potentially the strongest person to ever walk the earth. Saitama discovered that persistence and consistency, even if it's a small change, has the potential to make a big impact. He didn't do much more than the average weightlifter and athlete, except he was consistent. He says it himself, the key is that no matter how hard it gets, you have to keep on doing it. In addition to the power of prayer and fasting that we talked about last week, 
We also saw the power of consistency, especially in the Hunter Organization chairman's life, where years of prayer and fasting and punching got him to the pinnacle of strength. Saitama for the rest of the season is virtually unbeatable. He outperforms everyone and is afforded the option of having a relaxed approach to all things that most people would perceive as a crisis, simply because he was consistent in his preparation. It does not have to be big. It doesn't have to be crazy. It just needs to be consistent. At least that's what we're learning here. Being consistent in preparation, it doesn't need to be a whole ordeal or an unbelievable lifestyle change. Saitama demonstrated that one can get above average results with a combination of intentional effort and consistency. David in the Bible, or some would like to call him, the goat after God's own heart. By the way, that was a joke. They, we, they call him the man after God's own heart. Just, just wanted to you know, clear that up. But anyway, he as a boy was anointed to be king of Israel. He as a child doesn't even get lined up with his brothers to be considered to be the future king. He's left outside doing what he did every day. Guiding and protecting his father's sheep. This is already evidence of the power of consistency. But let me chill, let me chill. Uh, in 1 Samuel 16, after David gets anointed to be the future king, the current king Saul is plagued with an evil spirit. And looking for any kind of relief he can find, his attendants say, hey, let's get someone who's slick with the, the lyre, the lyre, whatever, the harp. Hey, let's get someone that's slick with the harp. And... When you are tormented by this evil spirit, we can have them play and you'll feel better. I personally don't get the logic behind it, but hey, it made sense to them at the time. And a different attendant speaks up and says, hey, funny you should say that. You know Jesse? Jesse of Bethlehem? He has a son and that boy is saucy with the harp. And if that's not enough, he's a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well. And he's a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. David is then brought to King Saul. And as they say, when the, he's tormented by the evil spirit and he plays the harp, the king gets relief. Interestingly enough, how would this random attendant know of all of David's capabilities in the way that he describes the only way he would know is if he saw David. That's the only thing that makes sense to me, and that's the only logical reason that he should know about this random boy, son of Jesse, in Bethlehem. This attendant must have seen David regularly being consistent, not just in his music ability, but in David's character, in David's speech, in his efforts, and even in combat. He saw him either practicing or performing consistently. David, at this stage of his development, where he is far from being a king, has still decided to be consistent in his preparation, enough that others would take notice and get him into the current king's service. We also see in this passage that the attendant doesn't forget to mention that the Lord is with him. When God is with you and you choose to be consistent, don't be surprised when God rewards your consistency 
with the growth that gets you where you want to go. David was ready for what came because he was consistent in his preparation and development. This consistency, honestly, we can just call it a habit. Having the habit to do what will get you to where you want to go is an amazing first step that can pave the way to your success. The first time that we even hear about him is when he is protecting and guiding sheep. Who better to be king than one that is already familiar with what it takes to guide and protect? And this isn't even mentioning the way David slung that slingshot with maximum excessive efficiency, like he has done so many times before, and took down a giant. I want to encourage you right here and right now that it doesn't have to take much for you to form the habit that will get you to where you want to go. It doesn't need to be an eight-hour course on how to be best in your line of work. It doesn't have to be reading every self-help book every single day. It can be as easy as what David did, you know, five minutes practicing with your slingshot or playing your guitar for 15 minutes a day or doing push-ups, sit-ups, squats, going for a jog every day. Your consistency will produce fruit, especially when you turn it into a habit. I honestly want to tell you from my own experience. When I got done with PT school and passed my boards, I got my first PT job. It was cool, I was excited, but I was also pretty nervous because like most new employees, I wanted to make a good impression and I never wanted to mess up. Then I got a call from my mom. Also, side note, praise God for wise counsel. And my mom, my mom is absolutely some wise counsel and so is my dad, I'm blessed. My dad is too. Glory to the most high king. Anyway, thank God for wise counsel. My mom said, hey, if this bears witness to you, you know, do what you feel like. But if this bears witness to you, I feel like you should spend your whole drive to work praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. At first I was like, classic mom. Nah, she would say some stuff like that. I guess, I mean, I guess I'll think about it. Uh, but the downside is I'll lose out on my jams in the morning that'll get me in the, you know, headspace, get me hyped for work. I don't know if I want to do that. But I did it. I followed my mom's advice and Side note, it, it's, it's a little weird to say, hey, you know, I don't think it's a good idea for me to, you know, pray to God my entire drive to work. But anyway, so uh, thanks to my mom's wisdom, I did it. I started praying in the Holy Spirit on the entire 11 minute and 55 second drive to work. I did it so often that rather than just praying in tongues every time I was driving to work, I started praying in tongues every time I got in the car and started driving. Then I started praying in tongues every time I got in someone else's vehicle. And another side note, it can make for some awkward moments if you're driving somewhere praying in tongues aggressively and you're not the only person in the car. The passenger will get nervous, I promise you that. But anyway, eventually I did it so regularly that it became a habit. And... Regarding work and regarding many other things in my life, God transformed them. Things changed expeditiously, and I was so pleasantly surprised. Even now, 
due to my consistency, I still have a hard time getting in a vehicle and not praying in tongues automatically. I was so surprised at how I got close to God in a way I had been longing for for so long. I was surprised at the newfound patience I had. I was surprised at my ability to navigate situations because I had already, thanks to the Holy Spirit, prayed for it in tongues on the way to work. God transformed my life in the most aggressive way, and I'm thankful to my mom for her wise counsel and for the the advice to form a habit that can carry me through not just work, but the rest of my life. I'm believing that for you. Honestly, praying in tongues on your entire drive to work, no matter how long that drive is, is a very good idea. But starting with something small and building that regularly every day if you can so that it becomes a habit that carries you where you want to go is also a good idea i like i like i've mentioned before i'm a voice actor and i like to go to anime conventions because newsflash i like anime but i was at this convention talking to another voice actor and they gave some very practical advice on how to get better at cold reading. Cold reading is basically when you get a script for the first time and have to read it immediately, professionally, like either for anime or for an audition or this, that, or the third. The goal is to read it as if it's the final product, even though you just got it in your hands. And she said, hey, getting good at cold reading is something that is necessary if you want to get into anime or some other types of voiceover, it's a very valuable skill to have. And she gave this advice to me, but to other people as well. And she said, hey, one way you can start is by just reading out loud, cold reading something for four minutes every single day. And I started that. And I'm not going to lie, in addition to the habit I formed with uh, voice acting, or sorry, the habit I formed with praying in tongues on the way to work. I formed a habit when it came to reading out loud. I became much better at it. My words got a lot smoother with everything I read. I was able to transition between sentences with strange pronunciations and strange punctuations. And I improved my craft as a businessman when it came to voiceover. I... Trust and believe that God, through your consistency and, like David, having God with you, will pave the way for you to form the right habits that will get you to where you want to go. Right now, you might say, hey, I don't really know where I want to go. And even if I did, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to have God in my side. And honestly, right now, I'm not sure if I have God in my life. If that's the case, I want to extend you the offer to have Jesus come into your heart today. Be by your side no matter what. Lead you the way Kaladin led Sen. Lead you, cover you, protect you, mend your broken wounds, and carry you on to victory. But before you can claim that, you have to say a little prayer. This prayer will give you access to the king and to his kingdom. And it's a prayer I've said. 
If you haven't said this prayer before or said it in a long time, I want you to say it today and join this kingdom. Join this battalion. Be a part of the winning side. Please repeat after me. Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I accept Jesus into my heart. I believe you raised him from the dead. And I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you for saving me and washing away my sins. I know that I've made mistakes, but now I want you to be Lord of my life. Forgive me. Renew me. Save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First things first, congratulations. By the grace of God, you have now entered this family. You have now entered the Lord's army, but more than that, you have an unlimited number of siblings in the children of God. So I want to say congratulations. Welcome to the family. And I'm so proud of you. More than that, God is proud of you. And you are covered. You're taken care of. You have your back covered and someone will always be coming to your rescue. Hey, before you sign off, I just want to, one, say thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. If you said that prayer for the first time or for the first time in a long time, I really want you to slide in my DMs and say something. Tell me, uh, because this is not the kind of walk that you do alone. You do this in community and community will make sure that you are victorious, but it's got to be the right community. So tell someone, tell someone of the decision that you made today. But hey, thank you so much for listening. I know today was a little bit of a long one, but I'm glad y'all were here. Hey, love you guys. Appreciate y'all. Stay blessed and highly favored. Peace.